Hello and welcome to The Past Less Traveled. This is your host, Dan Romagno, and before we get into it today, I'd like to make a quick announcement. This podcast can now be found on Spotify. Please go over to Spotify and give it a follow and a comment and a like and share it with your friends if you enjoy it. I'd appreciate it. Today, we will be discussing what once stood as the pinnacle of civilization, established by Alexander the Great of Macedonia and home to the likes of Cleopatra and Archimedes and built around the largest communication and knowledge hub of the ancient world. This city has truly seen it all, a place where artists, scientists, and innovators would debate and pioneer thought. Just think of the ideas and inventions this city has produced and the power that this city would bring to its rulers. Think of what it would be like if all that knowledge were burnt to ash and scattered into the wind, a moment in history where civilization itself was stopped in its tracks. This is the greatest city and its extraordinary tale. This is the city of Alexandria. Now, before we discuss the city itself, it is important to understand the impressive man who created it. Alexander the Great was the ruler of ancient Macedonia and to this day is revered as one of history's greatest military minds. As king of Macedonia and Persia, Alexander established the largest empire to ever be seen by the ancient world. A man described as charismatic and ruthless, brilliant and power-hungry, diplomatic and bloodthirsty. Alexander inspired such loyalty in his men that they would follow him to the ends of the earth and, if necessary, die in the process. Though Alexander the Great met his end before his dream of uniting a new realm came to fruition, his influence on Greek and Asian culture was so profound that it inspired a new age in history, the Hellenistic period. Alexander was born in Pella, Macedonia in 356 BC. Although legend had it his father was none other than Zeus, the chief god of the Greek pantheon, his true father, Philip II, left no smaller shoes for him to fill. Now, Philip II was an impressive military man in his own right. He turned Macedonia, which is a small region on the northern part of the Greek peninsula, into a force to be reckoned with, and his lifelong dream was to conquer the massive Persian Empire. At the age of 13, Philip called on the great philosopher Aristotle to tutor Alexander. Aristotle ignited in Alexander a never-ending interest in literature, science, and philosophy. At the ripe age of 16, Alexander was put in charge of Macedonia, as Philip went on to battle the Byzantine Empire in 338 BC. Alexander saw the opportunity to prove his military worth, and he led a cavalry charge against the sacred band of Thebes a supposedly unbeatable select army made up entirely of male lovers during the Battle of Chaeronea. And pardon if I'm uh, mispronouncing that. Alexander displayed great strength and vigor, and his cavalry decimated the sacred band of Thebes. Alexander assumed the throne at the age of 20 after his father's assassination. After quelling a number of rebellions in Macedonia, Alexander went on to pursue his father's dream of world domination and set his sights on Persia. A series of battles took place between Macedonia and Persia as Alexander and the Macedonian army continued to sweep through the Persian forces. After rejecting a peace offer from Darius III, king of Persia, Alexander set out for Egypt. He was sidelined at Gaza, however, and forced to endure another lengthy siege. 
After several weeks, he took the town and entered Egypt, where he established the city that still bears his name to this day, Alexandria. Alexandria was founded in the small port town of Rakitis, which resides in the northern part of Egypt by the Mediterranean Sea. Now, to give you an idea of how important the location of this town was, the Mediterranean actually translates to middle of the earth. So, in the ancient world, the people viewed the Mediterranean Sea and all that came with it as the center of the entire world. Alexander set about the task of turning it into a great capital. Alexander designed the plan for the city himself, which was so greatly admired by the historian Strabo. Strabo wrote, The city has magnificent public precedence and royal palaces which cover a fourth or even a third of the entire sea. For just as each of the kings would, from a love of splendor, add some ornament to the public monuments, so he would provide himself, at his own expense, with a residence in addition to those already standing. The grandiose places Strabo mentions did not exist at the time Alexander founded the city. Although he was greatly admired by the Egyptians and was even declared a demigod by the oracle at Siwa, Alexander left Egypt only a few months after his arrival to march on the Phoenicians. Alexandria eventually came under the rule of Alexander's general Ptolemy and the rule of the Ptolemaic dynasty. Again, pardon the uh, mispronunciations. Uh, in regards to this, the historian and scholar Magnazarian writes, Under the Ptolemies, a line of Greek kings, Alexandria soon sprang into eminence, and accumulating culture and wealth became the most powerful metropolis of the Orient. Serving as the port of Europe, it attracted the lucrative trade of India and Arabia. Its markets were enriched with the gorgeous silks and fabrics from the bazaars of the Orient. Wealth brought leisure, and it, in turn, the arts. It became, in time, the home of a wonderful library and schools of philosophy, representing all the phases and the most delicate shades of thought. At one time, it was the general belief that the mantle of Athens had fallen upon the shoulders of Alexandria. The city grew to become the largest in the world at the time, attracting scholars, scientists, philosophers, mathematicians, artists, and historians. Eratosthenes calculated the circumference of the earth to within 50 miles at Alexandria. Euclid taught at the university there. Archimedes, the greatest mathematician and astronomer, taught and studied there. Revered as the greatest engineer of his day, Huron was born and lived in Alexandria. Huron was credited with amazing feats in engineering and technology, including the first vending machine, the force pump, and a theater of automated figures who moved on their own, among other inventions. To give you an idea of how popular the city was for the innovators of its time, archaeologists have uncovered around 20 lecture halls throughout the city and are still discovering more to this day. Construction of the library began under Ptolemy I, around 305 to 285 BCE, and it was completed around Ptolemy II, around 230 BCE. Historians Oakes and Gallen wrote, there was room for up to 70,000 scrolls. Most of the items were bought, but other means were sometimes used. In order to procure coveted works, all ships entering the harbor were searched. Every book found was taken to the library, where it was decided whether to give it back or confiscate it and replace it with a copy. No one knows exactly how many books were held in the Library of Alexandria, 
but historians estimate there may have been more than 500,000. It is actually said that Mark Antony gave Cleopatra 200,000 books for the library, but this claim has been disputed since antiquity. The great historian Mangazarian writes about the Library of Alexandria, and he says, After its magnificent library, whose shelves supported a freight more precious than that of beaten gold, perhaps the most stupendous edifice in the town was the Temple of Serapis. It is said that the builders of the famous Temple of Edessa boasted that they had succeeded in creating something which future generations would compare with the Temple of Serapis in Alexandria. This ought to suggest an idea of the vastness and beauty of the Alexandrian Serapis, and the high esteem in which it was held. Historians and connoisseurs claim it was one of the grandest monuments of pagan civilization, second only to the Temple of Jupiter in Rome, and the inimitable Parthenon in Athens. The Serapis Temple was built upon an artificial hill, the ascent to which was by a hundred steps. It was not one building, but a vast body of buildings, all grouped about a central one of vaster dimensions, rising on pillars of huge magnitude and graceful proportions. Some critics have advanced the idea that the builders of this masterpiece intended to make it a composite structure, combining the diverse elements of Egyptian and Greek art into a harmonious whole. The Serapion was regarded by the ancients as marking the reconciliation between the architects of the pyramids and the creators of the Athenian Acropolis. It represents to their minds the blending of the massiveness of Egyptian art with the grace and the loveliness of the Hellenic period. The loss of the ancient world's greatest archive of knowledge, the Library of Alexandria, has been lamented for ages. Yet, how and why it was lost remains a mystery to this day. There are three separate claims of how and why the library was destroyed. The first person blamed for the destruction of the library is none other than Julius Caesar. In 48 BC, Caesar was pursuing Pompey into Egypt when he was suddenly halted by an Egyptian fleet at Alexandria. Greatly outnumbered and in foreign territory, Caesar ordered the ships in the harbor to be set ablaze. The fire spread and destroyed the entire Egyptian fleet. Unfortunately, it also burned down part of the city, the area where the great library stood. Caesar wrote of starting the fire in the harbor, but neglected to mention the burning of the library. Julius Caesar was known for having a habit of not including unflattering facts when writing his own history. Historians believe that if he was solely to blame for the disappearance of the library, it is very likely significant documentation on the affair would exist today. The second story of how the library was destroyed is more popular among today's historians. This account, credited to Edward Gibbon's The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, is much more complex than the first. Theophilus was patriarch of Alexandria from 385 to 412 AD. During his reign, the temple of Serapis was converted into a Christian church around 391 AD and it is likely that many documents were destroyed then. The Temple of Serapis was estimated to hold about 10% of the overall library of Alexandria's holdings. After his death, his nephew Cyril became patriarch. Shortly after that, riots broke out when Herex, a Christian monk, was publicly killed by order of Orestes, the city prefect. Orestes was said to be under the influence of Hypatia, 
a female philosopher and the head librarian of the Library of Alexandria. Christians, Jews, and pagans all lived together in the city, which made for violent and volatile politics. One ancient writer claimed that there was no people who loved to fight more than those of Alexandria. Immediately after the death of Herix, a group of Jews who had helped instigate his killing lured more Christians into the street at night by proclaiming that the church was set ablaze. When the Christians rushed out, the largely Jewish mob slew many of them. After this, there was mass havoc as Christians retaliated against both the Jews and the pagans, one of which was Hypatia. The story varies slightly depending upon who tells it, but she was taken by the Christians, dragged through the streets, and murdered. Her limbs were ripped from her body and burned at the corners of the city. Some regard the death of Hypatia as the final destruction of the library. Others blame Theophilus for destroying the last of the scrolls when he raised the temple of Serapis prior to making it a Christian church. The final individual in the blame game for the destruction of the library is the Muslim Caliph Omar. In 640 AD, the Muslims took the city of Alexandria. Upon learning of the great library containing all the knowledge of the world, Omar, who fears that the library would contradict the Quran, allegedly destroyed all of the books by using them as tinder for the bathhouses of the city. Even then, it was said to have taken six months to burn all the documents, but these details weren't written down until 300 years after the fact. These facts condemning Omar were written by Bishop Gregory Bar Habris, a Christian who spent a great deal of time writing about Muslim atrocities without much historical documentation. The real tragedy, of course, is not the uncertainty of knowing who to blame for the library's destruction, but that so much of ancient history, literature, and learning was lost forever. And there you have it, the history of the great city of Alexandria. Thank you all for tuning in. And if you like what you heard and want to hear more, I encourage you to like, follow, and share this podcast. This podcast is still very new, and I'm still working on getting a feel for the format and the flow. So even if you hated it, just lie. Give it a like. This is The Past Less Traveled. And remember, we're all trapped in history, and history is trapped in all of us. <laughs>